I'm Tyler. I'm Megan. And this is The Office Hours, the podcast where two literature professors analyze the great American story. Hey, Megan. Hey, Tyler. How are you? I got to tell you, I feel like I'm coming in hot today on the idea of this being the great American story because I think this episode is amazing. I think it has all of the great goodness of a novel. And so, whoa. Yeah, I'm just I'm feeling feeling a lot of a lot of excitement about this. You have been texting me pretty uh, persistently, like, I can't wait for you to watch this one. I'm really excited to see what you think of this one. Um, and so, yeah, like, I, I mean, I really enjoy it. I think it's I, I texted you and said it was top tier um, and I laughed a lot. But but, a, a, you know, great novel. I'm very <laughs> intrigued. We'll see if I can uh, if I can support my thesis, but um, yeah, yeah. So very very happy about this one. I will say uh, just to the listener, in case my voice sounds weird, uh, I am recovering from COVID. Uh, you know, from about a week ago or so, which is partly why our episode is slightly delayed. So that's my fault, uh, and I will do my best not to like cough and sneeze. Uh, like too much throughout this episode but um but anyway yeah uh I'm, it's so nice to be able to talk again and to record yes. with you it is it is I'm also coming off of a lingering non-COVID cough but one that um interrupts my laughter so <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting don't be too funny Tyler and and oh uh, not a problem but you know it's I hadn't even thought about it until now like oh you know Kevin had a medical issue we had medical issues this week there's a know. lot we can relate to yeah right and my birthday's coming up next month you know so yeah, yeah we'll see. and you're a birthday guy right I love my birthday <laughs> and so that is something watching this episode I was a little uncomfortable like am I Michael, <laughs> am I like, do I go a little too hard on celebrating myself? Um, run into that problem. <laughs> how do you feel about birthdays? I feel, um, I don't really care about them that much. Like what it's- you care about? You don't like holidays. You don't like holidays. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm like- I don't know. I, I enjoy birthdays. It just doesn't, it doesn't feel that much to me. I think I don't have that much feeling about that day. I love cake. You love. know, I love cake. Oh, sheet cake. Sheet cake. Classic um, sheet. Yeah. Classic, classic sheet cake. Um, in a disappointing turn of events, Costco has not been carrying the classic sheet cake that they oh. used to. And I find it's often, it's hard to find an occasion when I can justify buying a cake of that size right. for no reason. And so I actually used to request that for my birthday, but um, it's no, no longer seems to be available in exactly my specifications. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I want to be a bigger birthday person, but I don't know. I think this podcast is revealing how disappointingly boring I am. <laughs> no, no, I don't, not boring. I think you're uh mysterious and uh, uh maybe misanthropic or so uh, maybe, maybe you know, yeah i maybe. feel like i'm like the person who i mean we come together on certain things like chilies or whatever but i feel like i'm your normie friend and <laughs> you're like you're like the the um you know hipster who likes french art movies and stuff like that. i'm like gee i love birthdays and you're like but 
aren't we all destined to die, Tyler? You know, what's the point of another year passing or something like that? And, you know, I hate French art movements. <laughs> like, I, don't even, I don't even get to like the cool stuff that kind of compensates for the insufferable like lack of enthusiasm about holidays. But um, I love your I love your passion for this. For me, I think a birthday, the reason I like birthdays, and I, this is going to become relevant to uh, talking about Michael's approach, but I do feel as if on my birthday, um, unlike any other day, I feel like I'm allowed to get, like I'm allowed to ask for and receive the things that I want. So it's like, yeah, that is nice. I can be like, oh, I want, we're definitely getting, you know, like for a while. Or, so there's this like one Mexican restaurant. Uh, that Jen hates um, in Ithaca, but I kind of like, well, it, you know, I especially like their margaritas. And I, and so we would go there on my birthday, not necessarily because it was my favorite restaurant, but mm -hmm. because I felt comfortable on my birthday going to a rest, like choosing the restaurant that I knew was not her favorite. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yes. Um, yes. Or being like, uh, uh, you know, I want to like, I want to watch this movie, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Without any concern or consider, you know, so I feel like, relieved of the usual um uh, pressure that i have to be like pleasing everybody else all the time <laughs> yeah actually that's a great point and i do that too so like on my birthday i will order the pizza that dan does not like and that's so i feel too bad requesting at other times um but he is wrong and it is delicious, but yeah, you're right. So it's, it's totally an opportunity to get things that, you know, other people don't like that much, but that you want to enjoy. Michael does sort of force them, force things, uh, but we'll talk, we'll talk about it. He does, about. he does force them, but maybe we're doing that too. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, so should we do our, any revisions and regrets before we get into it? I think we should. And... I've got a little addition to the revisions and regret segment. Ooh, ooh, shoot. <laughs> Not quite on this yet. I played it at the wrong time, but courtesy of Nick. I regret that. That's <laughs> yeah, I regret that. Okay, so note to self for next time. <laughs> Coming up with some slick tech effects and failing. Yeah. But ask me again if I'm ready for um, revisions and yeah, regrets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Megan, I was just wondering, is now a good time for revisions and regrets? <laughs> We may have to plop in that sound effect. <laughs> so that is a uh, courtesy of our behind the scenes producer, Nick, who often comes to us with boat knowledge and with suggestions for sound effects. So that is actually from the price is right when people lose. But um, I do, of course, have a couple of revisions and regrets, not big things really this time, not a deep sense of regret. More, um, more like an acknowledgement of things that I omitted. So there are two things. One, when Michael in the last episode signed up for online dating, his profile name was Little Kid Lover. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> and uh, actually, this ends up kind of connecting today because part of Michael's, one might say hotness in this episode is about his love for little kids, but there's just something so um funny and endearing and sweet about that because it makes him sound super pervy but he has no idea like he's he's thinking about it from a genuine 
love yeah. after bonding with Toby's kid, Sasha. So there's that. That's one thing I wanted to acknowledge. The other is that Dwight and Meredith both have no games on their computer. And this comes up when Jake, Meredith's son, asks yes. Dwight if he has any games on his computer. And he says, oh, yeah, Meredith doesn't either. And so it made me think, is Meredith actually a great worker? That's a good one. We have some real kindness out of Meredith in this episode. So she might be kind of an unsung hero of the office. So I just felt like those were omissions that I needed to address. It is kind of funny. We haven't talked much about Meredith. And so far, yeah, basically seem to play her alcoholism as like funny. And I'm not opposed to that. Like, you know, I'm not saying that that's wrong or something. Um, but it is sort of just like, oh, isn't it funny that she is an alcoholic without with there's like not much of a spin on it uh -huh. or whatever. Like, um, and it's it's just odd to me because like we don't really have much it this ep there that episode is really the first time that we have a sense of like, oh man, she's stuck with this like super annoying bratty kid. <laughs> like I would need a drink. Yeah. Definitely also. Um yeah. I mean, I guess you could reverse it and say the super the kid is super bratty and obnoxious because she's an alcoholic. But whatever, chicken <laughs> egg, who can say? It's best to blame Jake. <laughs> yeah, that's what I say. Um, I when listening back to the episode, I felt like you had really. I mean, everything is a blur to me from COVID, but I my vague sense was that you had really convinced me that um, Pam connecting with him was kind of genuine. And not, um, I don't know, I remember my first read of that, that that was some sort of like concession or or kind of like half half reward for her <laughs> efforts to connect with the children. Um, oh, but you also were questioning how genuine it was for Jake. Yeah, um, from his side. I felt like Pam, it was sweet and genuine. And yes. Yeah, I thought Jake was hitting on her. Yeah, no, and either way, but I, I definitely felt... On, on like considering it again I was like oh that's interesting that yeah I don't know that she kind of gets what it is what it is that she was going after by the end of the episode yeah uh, you know this makes me think too we should start coming at each other with things that like you think that I should regret and revise oh now and I'm interested not only about self-critique yeah <laughs> but judgment <laughs> yeah but judgment and so i think i think we need to bring a little more of that edge in the future so every something week every week it's going to be like more. i think you should regret your opinion on magicians yeah, yeah. that's all and maybe eventually i'll change you know people, <laughs> people can grow but i'm not there yet tyler is it episode time yeah let's do it am okay. i reading this one i've got it all right okay so while Kevin nervously awaits medical results, Michael drags the office to an ice rink birthday party for himself. Wow. Yeah. Remarks. Well, um, oh, let me just talk globally and then we can maybe dive yes. into the like, um, sure. to the uh, cold open or whatever. But I just like, I so I watched the episode twice mm -hmm. and I like really... It brought up, it brought back, like, I really loved the windows that we got into Michael's, like, childhood. Yes. Teenage years and his psychology. And, mm -hmm. um, but it also brought back some of my own experiences of, like, 
just having birthday parties as a kid, which is so weird and different from what you do like as an adult. And yeah. it was just interesting to me to see this like adult man use his power as the boss to essentially like force everybody into having not just like a birthday party, but like a child's birthday party. Yes, yes. At school or um you know but i remember going to the, like oh somebody had a birthday party like at, at the um roller rink or the movie mm-hmm. theater and so the ice rink felt like totally appropriate um and he just yeah anyway so i thought that was really really interesting i can't wait to talk about the the windows into his past and his mom but yeah. the other thing that was completely on my mind through this whole episode i was reading it through the lens of megan theory which <laughs> is uh like you you've had this argument that the show kind of gives us a window into like the gift economy and <laughs> social exchange and so i just struck me it's not only that michael like is orchestrating what he getting them to give him what he wants so he wants a yeah. stripper he wants uh trick candles he wants you know whatever um but he also is like giving them things He's giving them, he gives them donuts, he gives them cake, he gives them sandwiches that they don't want. Um, but yeah. like, as a way of like trying to get back what he wants to be mm. given. I don't know. I just kept, I was like, I can't wait for Megan's theory of the gift oh, exchange. So, Tyler, like, so good. I did not think of this in terms of a gift exchange <laughs> whatsoever, but I love that. Wow. You're right, because the day is all like, it's an opportunity for Michael, hopefully, to receive things, but also it's a day of acts of hospitality from Michael. Yeah, bologna, ketchup, and tomato sandwich. Yeah, I've got some thoughts about that, Mm -hmm. by the way. Should we start with those? (laughs) We can get to that when it comes there, but yeah, I've got some thoughts about that sandwich, and they might be surprising. Do you have kind of a big picture? There's something you definitely want to put on the table or talk about? I guess I'd say my big picture thing that I've been thinking about, and which is part of why I think that this is such a great episode. Yeah, yeah. I think it shows something about the way The Office handles the combination of the ridiculous and the really serious. So our two plot lines, you know, about Michael's birthday and about Kevin being really anxious and waiting to see if he has skin cancer. And I think it just hits those notes so well yeah I think we also have a lot of the complexity of Michael I'd say that Kevin we also get more complexity in Kevin than we've had before and I think it does that stuff really well um and I was thinking about it actually kind of in contrast to the other show that I think of as a greatest of all time and that's Seinfeld Mm. which I think definitely has similarities and probably lays groundwork for a show like The Office in some ways, but does not do that combination of emotions and that level of depth and sort of conflict within characters and that kind of thing. Um, So I think that is part of this episode's greatness. I think one of my big kind of frustrations with some contemporary comedies is that I feel like the <clears throat> the you know the people doing interesting comedy or whatever seem really drawn towards dramedy but like more drama than comedy and like 
what I like about this blend is I'm still laughing. Like there are actual yeah. jokes. Yeah. Um, but it is, there is a dark edge to it. And there uh -huh. is like a, there is some real dramatic stakes. So I love that point. Yeah. So should we get to the opening scene? Yes. Is, I, I think this is one of the greatest. It is a classic. <laughs> it is a classic. So Michael is doing a presentation <laughs> in the conference room, which I noticed is only to men in the office. None of the women are there, but uh -huh. he's trying to recruit them to sell calling cards. <laughs> so Tyler, how did you feel? Was there anything in the scene that stood out to you? Well, I will say I was desperately trying to do that like English major thing where I was like, okay, what is the relationship between pyramid schemes and birthdays? Like, and I never, <laughs> I never got anywhere with it. Huh. Um, but I said to Jen, I was like, Jen, what do you think is the relationship between this cold open and the rest of the episode? And she was like, I don't know, I don't know. And then she said, well, like, Michael's so excited about the calling card scheme and then Jim bursts his bubble. And, like, the whole episode is, like, Michael gets excited and it bursts his bubble about this and it bursts his bubble about... And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, yeah. um, because when I first... when The first time I watched it, I remember just thinking the joke is that he's an idiot. Like, like he's a salesman who doesn't understand... <laughs> <laughs> a pyramid scheme and that he's being <laughs> I just love the physical comedy too of Jim drawing literally drawing the pyramid and then he's like I have to make some calls it is so perfect I love that moment so much um yeah so Michael's like trying to explain why it's not a pyramid scheme and yeah. he's drawing on that uh what do you call those things like that bit, like a flip chart or something yeah like, yeah paper that you draw on and so he starts drawing it to illustrate and yeah you're right Jim just walks in and he draws a triangle around the thing and Michael's reaction to it is so good <laughs> and I set a timer because I was like this is a lot of silence and there were 10 seconds of just silence oh no Michael way looking at the thing and it's kind of looking at his face and his face showing this realization. And he just says, I have to go make a call. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought there was something really interesting about the construction of the show. And I think this actually happens a couple times in this episode, but where there's that long pause and there's no music, there's nothing to sort of tell us how to feel. It's just like this long drawn out silence as he is processing it. And I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, I love that. There's also the bit in here too about the previous time he was uh scammed. Um yes. when he invested in the proposed <laughs> king of Nigeria. <laughs> I, I mean, this is also like one of the things that is kind of like I don't like like you were saying serious and and um comedic. There's also this like I don't know, mean and and sweetness yeah. to Michael. And like, it's, it's stupidity, but like, it's sweet stupidity for him to say, um, like his father ran the freaking country. If he's asking you for help, you help. Like there's something yes. very sweet about, about that. I don't know. <laughs> it's, I thought that too. Michael is the perfect victim for those scams. I think they're called 419 scams. Um, 
because it just shows his his vulnerability, his belief in people, his total lack of cynicism. Yes, that's it. That's it. And he gets this call. I love the way he, yes. when he responds to Toby and it's like, it's so obvious that that's what you do. When the son of the deposed king of Nigeria emails you directly asking for help, you help. <laughs> so it connects to that thing, the bursting of his bubble too. And what you said about going back to his childhood birthdays and the fact that he takes us to a child's birthday. Because there is, like he has not in this gotten the kind of adult cynicism that you hope to get that makes you not send money to a fake Nigerian prince. Right, right, right. Um, and that has not come to Michael. It's interesting. Yeah, you would think that in some ways, I'm trying to think of like representations of bosses and like often the boss is, uh, I don't know, not necessarily smarter than you, but definitely more cynical than mm -hmm. you. And like, or, you know, knows how to play the game and knows how to like, you know, step on the people below. Um, yeah. And in this show, like being, my, Michael being successful within a capitalist structure does not mean he understands anything about capitalism. <laughs> and like, but also his success is not really success. He, like he, he's, I don't know. I, I think I love that too, where it's like just this image of kind of a, a dim-witted boss uh who who's like yeah uh i love that phrase not cynical should we talk about that birthday party by the way uh when he was seven just curious yes if you had thoughts i was like oh my god i don't understand this but megan who has studied freud and <laughs> she will help me process this so when i was seven oh, my, my mother hired a pony and a cart to come to my house for all the kids. And I got a really bad rash from the pony. And all the kids got to ride the pony. And I had to go inside. <laughs> and my mother was rubbing cream on me for probably three hours. And I never came outside. And by the time I got out, the pony was already in the truck and around the corner. So that was my worst birthday. Oh my gosh, this is so <laughs> heartbreaking. His eyes, when he delivers this, his face is so serious and his eyes just have that look where it feels like he could cry. You know, yes. he's he's close. Um, wow, it was so fascinating putting this past, kind of splicing the history of birthdays into the present to really yeah, make us ask, how do those early pivotal experiences shape who you become and shape what you try to make out of birthdays now. So it made me want to ask something like, what are birthdays? Like, What are birthdays supposed to be? What's the kind of cultural weight that gets put on them that makes it matter so much when a birthday is a bad day? Right. So it feels like for Michael, you know, it's a time of wanting to feel love and wanting to be at the center of attention or kind of having the chance to be at the center of attention but it ends up in his stories about being excluded and being disappointed and I don't know if you make anything out of his mom rubbing cream on him for probably three hours um, but it did feel like he ends up um 
kind of spending his life trying to make up for that. Like, you know, those early, like those kind of losses of it. It's like you spend your life trying to make up for it. So you start out with the point that he has the birthday he throws for himself as a child's birthday. So it feels like he mingles these impulses of a boy and of a man. So he has a skating party, but he also wants a stripper, for example. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I, well, okay. So just to close read the anecdote a little bit more. So yes, please do. Mother hired a pony and a cart. (laughs) I just found the phrasing of that so strange. (laughs) And it was... Well, it sounds almost like something Dwight would say, like in <laughs> cart. It just sounds like I, at first I was like, where are we in the like early 20th century? Like, what? OK, uh, to come to my house for all the kids. And what I thought was going to happen was he was going to say, but no kids showed up or something. Mm. But the kids do show up. But he gets a really bad rap from the pony. Now, this begs the question, uh-huh. did he ride the pony? and get the rash from riding the pony or did he just like pet the pony and get where is the rash because That's a great question if he rode the pony and he has like <laughs> a rash on his thighs That's definitely where i was picturing it what if yeah, then okay. then his mother is rubbing cream on the inside <laughs> of his thigh now was it actually 3 hours or did it just feel like 3 hours I think it probably the, just felt like three hours. Yeah. Uh, and not a good three hours, it sounds like, because he's itching to get back outside. Yes. Intended. Um, <laughs> so, but what's confusing about it, though, is kind of like, what is the, th- like, because he did get to ride the pony. Mm-hmm. So is he jealous? Because he says, and all the kids got to ride the pony. It, yeah, like like that, because I initially, so at first I was like, no kids showed up. No, but they do. And then I was like, oh, he doesn't get to ride the pony, but they do. But yeah. no, he actually did get to ride it. So like, it's that he was excluded from being the center of attention, but he kind of is the center of attention just from his mother, not from everybody else. Um, okay, so yes. and he never came outside. So he's inside away from everybody else. By the time I got out, the pony was already in the truck and <laughs> around the corner. <laughs> So that was my worst. Part. I don't know. So that's as far as I've gotten in close reading it. Um, but I totally agree with you. I think there's, I mean, I kept thinking about that with um, that. He must be, per- he doesn't know what's going on with Kevin until late in the episode or middle. Yeah. So he's perceiving the attention that Kevin is getting as like his birthday attention, not like yes. an yes. alternative uh-huh. alternative. Like, it's so interesting to me that he thinks he can meld like birthday um, celebration with sympathy, um, yeah. uh, sympathy, I don't know, consoling. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, well, it's attention. And so it doesn't really matter what the vibe is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe that's because, I don't know, he was, I don't know. He, yeah, there is, it's like a zero sum game of attention where yeah. we can't, can't devote attention like the yeah the attention gets pulled to Kevin and away from him this would this is also making me think that I would love to do a little bit of side research on animal allergies and specifically horse allergies like is Michael allergic to horses I don't think he's allergic to dogs or any other pets that we maybe encounter in the show do we ever 
does he interact with the dog at least once i think anyway yeah it's uh there's a lot there. Should we talk about his other horse birthday too? Yeah. Do you want to walk us through it? Yeah, sure. So it gives us these two kind of pivotal birthday points in time. Maybe birthdays are also interesting for the way they kind of mark whatever place in life you're at. Yeah. So we've got seven and then we've got 16. So Michael says, when I was 16, I was supposed to go on a date with a girl named Julie. But there was another Michael in class that she apparently thought the date was with. So she went out with him on my birthday and she got him a cake at the restaurant and it wasn't even his birthday, but I heard about it the next day at school. So that was the worst birthday I think I ever had. Oh. Brutal. Julie, come on. <laughs> well, you gotta hurt our boy Michael this way. <laughs> Oh, because this, like, there's the excitement of thinking that he's liked and thinking that he's going to have a date. And then that not only falls through, but it gets passed off to the other Michael who gets all the glory and all the joy out of it. It just feels, that one just feels heartbreaking. I guess... Okay, so you would asked, you know, at the beginning of these two, like, what what is a birthday or what is yeah. it supposed to be? Like, what I find strange about it in our culture is, like, in theory, it's supposed to be, like, your special day. Mm -hmm. and, um, I mean, first, it's odd because it's, like, really, it should be your mother's <laughs> special yeah, day. Yeah, that's a very legitimate point. I don't know. If I ever, like, gave birth to something, man, I would want every year give me presents for that shit yeah, but anyway, yeah. um, that'll bring us to dwight who does yeah. the role of a mother yes um okay but all right so it is supposed to be your special day you're you're special we're excited you're in the world we're happy you exist right like that's whatever on the other hand especially when you're young it is it's like if you get a present you can't like you have to get presents for everybody else so no kid gets jealous because like kids get jealous you know what i mean like no it's you're supposed to be the center of attention but then as far as i understand like parents are constantly trying to mitigate that right because all the other kids are going to get upset um so anyway it's just interesting how in the first one he doesn't really get to be the center of attention the pony is right and like but he is the, getting the attention from his mom but he wants i guess the attention from the kids like, I keep thinking the kids should have come in to see him, although maybe not with the cream and the whatnot. <laughs> is it also that he gets, so if the rash is on his thighs and he did get to ride the pony, is it that he sort of peaked and then got pulled away? Like, he sort of hit a birthday yeah. fantasy yeah. of a party and pony riding and that all got torn away. Which that is, well, I mean, and we should, especially with the second one too, I'm like, is Michael a reliable narrator of events? <laughs> but but they're at least, they, yeah, they, but like, that's really interesting, right? Because like, he is, not, like you say, I'm so compelled by this. Like, he's not cynical. He's trying to recapture that like childlike innocence and joy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that comes out of something has been crushed, right? Like a sense yeah. of disappointment or frustration or whatever 
yeah. most of us adapt to that by being like, yeah, like birthdays are stupid or, you know, like, or I'm going to get attention, but not, you know, it's, it's, I'm not the most important person in the world or, you know, something yeah. like that. Like, so my he, lack of enthusiasm about birthdays is just that my dreams were crushed early on and this is my coping mechanism. You've adapted to the reality yeah. principle. Not the big yeah. of a deal anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's also why you hate magicians, right? It's like you <laughs> you couldn't master the trick and so you disavowed them. Yeah, no. I think there's something to that because there's something, <laughs> it's, it's self-protective. So for Michael to want people to be excited about his birthday puts him at risk of real disappointment. Whereas if you interesting take the approach of not, or at least claiming you don't want that much of attention or it's not that big of a deal, then you're just protecting yourself. And so I think, I think we could go into a psychological reading there too, which we won't do, but. <laughs> I know I'm suddenly compelled to tell my like worth my own worst birthday stories. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but off the podcast, I'll tell you mine. But in this second one, it is like, it's not only about disappointment, but also, yeah, mistaken identity. You know, he's, he's exchangeable. There's mm. another Michael. Um, yeah. And that other Michael is the one that gets, all the things that he will not get. So that Michael gets cake, that Michael gets a date, that Michael goes to a restaurant, you know, and, and yeah. he only hears about it the next day. Um, these stories are like really explaining his jealousy of Kevin. Um, mm -hmm. It would have been, it would be interesting to imagine what this episode would be without Kevin's situation. Like, cause Michael says, oh, they love it. They really get into it. And I was kind of curious what other years have looked <laughs> like in the office, but yeah. I mean, it's also very clear that they're all like, uh, you know, suffering yes. his... I love it how as soon as he says that, they get really into it and it just shows different people working. Like there's kind of a close-up of Phyllis's face and it like cuts to a couple of people who just are not going crazy for it at all. Right, right, right. So you said, yeah, we can question if Michael's a reliable narrator. I think we can definitely say he's he's not reliable, but then there's always the question of our people being intentionally deceptive or do they just not yeah. understand something themselves and I think the stories I feel like in Michael's stories of birthdays past he is very genuine and sharing his really deep hurts in his life um but of course it's it's a little hard to know what his lens kind of highlights and hides and all of that I was curious if we could quickly break down the gifts and mm -hmm. does he receive genuine gifts? Cause something that struck me was the Jim and the gifts that Jim and Pam get for Kevin, I thought were very interesting and they were indicative of what a good gift is. Um, so just as a reminder, they get Kevin a party pack of M&Ms, his favorite candy DVD of American pie Two, his favorite movie, that he lent to Creed and he's not going to get back 69 cup of noodles, which uh -huh. is his favorite number and his favorite lunch. So they get him these things that are like, you can get they're at Rite Aid, they're cheap, um, but they're thoughtful because they demonstrate they, without being prompted or asked, are getting mm -hmm. things that they know he likes. I was trying to remember, does Michael get gifts throughout Good this episode? Question. I'm so glad you asked. 
Well, to, a quick side note that I just have to throw out there. I noticed, so Jim and Pam in the shopping cart had lots of cup of noodles, but when they came back to the office with the shopping bags, there were, there's no way there were 69 cup of noodles in there. No. So that bothered me a little bit, but <laughs> Michael does get gifts. So he gets from Dwight, the hockey jersey. Yes. Which is the, ah, uh, now I took a picture of the screen so I'd remember, but the name of the local American Hockey League. So I guess there's the NHL and it seems like there's also the American Hockey League. Nick can weigh in on this for sure. Oh yeah. Um, but it's the Wilkes Bar or Wilk, I, Wilkie's, Wilkes. I don't know how you say it, but it's like, Wilkes you Bear. know, Wilkes, right? Bear. Wilkes Bear. Okay. Wilkes Bear slash Scranton Penguins. And it's their jersey, but it says from Dwight on the back. <laughs> Tyler, were you aware of the Wilkes-Bear Scranton Penguins? I was not. I just am from Pennsylvania, so I know Wilkes-Bear, but yeah. I, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, so so apparently that's a thing. That is the, uh, yeah, the Penguins. They are an official ice hockey team in the American Hockey League. Um, So we get that from Dwight, <laughs> but Dwight... Yeah, Dwight puts his name on the back of it. So Michael's a little bit disappointed by that. But then the gift that Pam and Jim got for Michael and then said that it was from all of us, they kind of include the whole group, is Night Swept, his favorite cologne. And his face is just so touched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He receives it. Um, and this was a callback to... I checked which which episode it was. It was season one, episode six. Oh. It's when he's cleaning out his car with Ryan and Ryan finds the empty bottle. And I think Michael tells him it's Dracar Noir. Wasn't that the name we found of that cologne? Yeah, yeah. I think Ryan tells him, no, it says Rite Aid Night Swept. <laughs> Michael tells him it's a perfect smell and smell like I'm not paying for the label. So <laughs> Michael really loves night swept and this was a perfect gift for him and i felt like he was very touched by it earlier in the episode dwight plays him a song um would you, <laughs> oh, yeah. would you count that as a gift i would count that i would count that as a gift i think it's a gift of performance art yeah I don't think it's a gift that Michael likes by William Joel it's his favorite song yeah though. not Billy Joel William Joel and um, I was confused by, okay, so he says, my birthday blows. Nobody even signed my birthday poster. Probably my mom, my mother is the only one that cares enough to send me anything. What I was confused about was, did she give him the poster with his blurry face that she <laughs> signed? Or did she give him the James Dean poster that he thinks is Luke Perry? Which that poster is actually James Dean and not Luke Perry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. <laughs> I assumed, I assumed that she gave him the Luke Perry thing, and it's funny. I was like, that's so "Oh, that's a Luke Perry version of something that's supposed to be somebody else." I can't remember if I figured out that it was James Dean or if there was somebody else I was trying to place, but you know, cause there is that box, you know, I guess we'd have to go back and trace like when the, 
box when the delivery box comes in that's what's in the box or that's what's in the box oh i didn't put that so together. there are two big poster sized things oh okay yeah, so i assumed it was the james dean thing um interesting wow now i want to look up does do he and luke perry look a lot alike did they did she send both of them maybe possibly i mean the picture of him is terrible it's, did, it's absolutely horrible Dwight did sign it. Oh, okay. Then that makes sense. Possible that Dwight brought it? I don't know. Right. That makes more sense. It would make more sense that, like, the office blew up a, a picture, a birthday poster. Dwight signs it, but nobody does. And then his mom sends the the Luke Perry, James Dean thing. Yes. It's an interesting gift because it's not, he doesn't even know who it is. Yeah. So, wait, I'm trying to find, I put a, I made a note about this somewhere. So Luke Perry was famous for 90210, right? Yes. And you know what's funny? Oh yeah, here. Okay, so I found my note. So he, I thought it was a James Dean looking picture. I was like, oh, that looks like a poster that's made where it's supposed to look like some other guy who kind of poses yeah. and looks beautiful and masculine and sort of edgy right what do you think about the fact that michael thinks it's luke perry like that of all people of all references i don't that's interesting i have no idea i yeah as far as i got was just that like oh he doesn't know either his mother doesn't know what he likes or he doesn't understand like, <laughs> but she has given him but either uh -huh. yeah but there's this mis misunderstanding which is ironic because he's saying she's the only one that cares yeah as far as i got but um yeah. i have no idea why the luke perry <laughs> i mean i they do kind of look alike i think um yeah i think that they do and it's interesting that it's like a an icon of um both kind of beautiful but edgy masculinity yes yeah like the kind of thing Ooh. that's more marketed toward a teenage girl or something yes to have there's something interesting about him having that poster I, I just with all of the i don't know the kind of way he wants to be as a man and like he wants to get a stripper but he's got that poster i don't know it's just interesting that is such a brilliant point and it's also isn't it kind of like one of those mall um kitschy yeah like, it looked like the cigarette was illuminated or neon yes. or something yes. like that um yeah it reminded me of something you see at like a kiosk or a, a yeah. specialty back when there were malls and you went inside to, to buy random shit you would yeah. see something like that I will say, uh, just based on a, a quick internet search, it does feel like there's a lot of content comparing Luke Perry to James Dean. So Michael yeah. might not be the only one uh, mixing those, mixing those things up. Now, I, I'm concerned that we're not digging deep enough into your argument that this is like a novelistic, a rich novelistic text. <laughs> but I'm also concerned that we haven't talked about bologna tomato and ketchup subs uh, where do you want to go where do we go that's a great question there's so much to cover 
Well, let me, I guess, let me say one example because we've kind of touched on it that I feel like relates to the rich novelistic text that we have here. And that is his desire for the stripper and the delivery woman. Yeah. So he has requested, he's kind of put in this list of requests. I like it how, you know, Dwight comes into his office and he wants to contribute to the planning, but Michael says, no, the party planning committee's all over it. They've been working 24 seven all day yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. But he gives, he gives Dwight some particular requests. And this is one of the things that I loved. And I think what it shows about his character because, or a kind of a complex way of handling character. And so the delivery woman arrives with this gift from his mom. So she comes in with a big flat cardboard box and she's dressed, she's wearing a really oversized tan jacket. She has a tan hat. She isn't really visibly wearing makeup. She's not made to kind of signal hotness, but she walks in, she says, hi, delivery from Michael Scott. And Michael says, here we go. Okay, this is great. Thank you, my friends. She is perfect. And he goes and he kind of gets a chair and he sits on the chair and he asks um, some singles, if you will. All right. Mm. <laughs> Let's see. He says, is this, this has arms. Is this going to be all right? And the delivery woman is so confused. And she says, uh, sh- sh- sure. And then Michael's laughing and saying he's so nervous. So on the one hand, he's being a total ass here, assuming that she's a stripper reacting accordingly, getting ready in his chair to receive her lap dance. But at the same time, I just found the fact that when he sees her come in, he says, she's perfect. There was just something really kind of tender and sweet about that to me that was, you know, like when Elizabeth, when they get an actual stripper who comes in dressed as a nurse, when you dress as a nurse, as a stripper, you don't look like a real nurse. And so the idea is that if it was a delivery person stripper, she would not look like a real delivery person. But she is dressed and fully looks like a delivery person. And she's not, you know, zhuzhed up and looking all hot. She just looks like a really, really normal woman. And so... (laughs) I just, I just sort of loved Michael's delight and thinking that she was perfect. I love that. I think, I think I'm making a really problematic defense of Michael here. Well, I don't, I, you're not saying like, if, <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're defending the sexualization. This, and someone has shown up and yeah, and he's like absolutely enchanted by her and and delight yeah. yeah and so and you're fine i mean that goes back to your kind of argument about like what's interesting about him is partly this like almost innocent joy and glee in in things uh i don't know yeah yeah i, I mean i thought it was great too because um it was just so cringy and it was really hard to watch because <laughs> everybody else understands that that's not what's going on except for him and i guess dwight like because dwight is like yeah like you know whatever um anyway yeah i don't know i i thought that was really funny too yeah i just think it sort of does a depth of character in those moments but 
Tyler, yeah. you, you also pointed us to the bologna and ketchup. Uh, it just sounds gross. <laughs> I guess I felt, I was like, well, all right. So he says, birthday party subs, my gift to you. And I was like, well, mm. it's really a gift to yourself. And that's okay, right? Like we want to order the pizza that we want on the birthday. You know, it's it's our birthday. You get to have whatever. Uh -huh. uh, at the same time, like that is such a disgusting combination in my mind that I was like that, like, I don't want, yeah, I don't want that at all. And, uh, and so to imagine it as a gift, to imagine everybody excited about it, I don't know. There's something funny about it. And there is something interesting too, about how like you have a birthday party, but it is also kind of like, not for you. Like if you're having a party, yeah. it has to be, you're trying to please other people. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, totally. This show, maybe this episode is about some strange, like I loved you said something like mingling of adult and man and boy. <laughs> and like maybe that's also what I'm responding to in the bologna. Yeah. But yeah, what do you are you what do you think? Would you eat a bologna tomato ketchup uh sandwich? I've got a fresh bait. I think Michael might be onto something here. And let me tell you why. I, have, I haven't tried this, but I am gonna commit right now that I will try it. Bologna is a hot dog. It's the same thing, isn't it? It tastes the same. It's just in a different shape. It's in a different form. It tastes like hot dog? Yeah. I didn't know that. I think it's just, I I think that they are very, very close relatives. Huh. So I think that a bologna and ketchup sandwich must just taste like a hot dog. Okay, now I'm back in. I'm interested. Yeah, so I think it might be surprisingly good. It's a powerful sandwich because it sounds disgusting and everyone in the office is so turned off, but I think it might be actually good. So I'll try it. I'll report back. But <laughs> I really do. I think it's just a way to get a hot dog at a sub shop. That's fascinating. I had not put that together. Um, and I don't know what it is that grosses me out about. I mean, I don't like tomatoes, so that's a thing. And then I guess I don't really like ketchup on sandwiches. You know? Yeah, I mean, ketchup... You don't really put ketchup because here's the thing. What's the difference? How do you define a sandwich and how do you define a hot dog and those things that get to have ketchup and don't? Because right, you're right, right. why don't we put ketchup on turkey sandwiches, for example, but it's so standard on hamburgers and hot dogs. I don't know. I don't know. I do think we need to have a separate podcast now, which is, is this a sandwich? You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll look at quesadilla yeah. and we'll look at <laughs> hamburgers. Um, like you but I do love. Strong, there's just an interesting thing about categories, like the way that yeah. we categories so that the hot dog is somehow is a separate category from sandwich where ketchup is okay. But if you take ketchup when it's on a bread, it changes it somehow. Right, right, right. I think it might be an arbitrary difference. I find it so funny that Angela's like, I don't eat bologna. Uh, and he's like, we just have tomato and ketchup, still good. And she's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Angela is really, really irritating in this episode to me, um, as she often is. She just grates yeah. on me. Um, and uh, so in that moment, I suddenly was like on Michael's side, even though I also agreed with her. I was like, no, I'm not going to have a tomato and ketchup sandwich either or yeah. just bread. Um, 
but uh uh earlier when she's like not consoling kevin at all uh oh man she's the worst worst because what is what does he say or you know she's like you don't know that he's going to be all right you know but then she does backtrack and she's like but it could be or something like that Um, yeah yeah she backtracks i guess one of the things we get with kevin in his worry and his waiting for this call is that it sort of shows how different characters respond to that so oscar's thing is to say skin cancer is treatable and that's when angela says you don't know it's going to be okay don't give him false hope And on the one hand, she is really being a jerk here. And yet at the same time, she's also a little right. Like the, where the, the kind of reaction that's like, oh, you know, don't worry. It's going to be totally okay. Is also seems to me like not the best reaction. Although the uh, false hope reaction is also, is also a bad one. Like Angela's is not a, good reaction but uh the kind of you know just it's treatable everything's going to be okay you know michael comes in and he's like oh i did some research and it turns out 98 percent of people with skin cancer survive and kevin says still scary yeah and yeah that's the thing like oscar's saying it's treatable but kevin's thing is like still scary we can acknowledge it's scary <laughs> Well, so this is a question I actually had for you, and I should have asked it at the beginning. But should I ask it as a question or tell you my assumption? I'll just tell you my assumption. Question and then tell the assumption. Oh, okay. Here was my question. My question was something like, would you ever disclose a a possible diagnosis like this to your coworkers prior to knowing the result? And my assumption about you is that oh. you never do this. And in fact, I was also like, even if the result was positive, yeah. I don't know <laughs> if you would ever tell your coworkers. Like, they might just open up the newspaper one day and be yeah. like, Megan's gone? What? You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so if I'm right in that assumption, I'd be kind of curious to hear what you think about Kevin's uh yeah what kevin's choice but also just the episode's framing of what it means to disclose something Mm. yeah yeah well you're right on that i would absolutely not tell people in my office this um just hmm. to be clear the the fact that i was going in to be tested i would tell everybody i would want all (laughs) the attention reassurance Oh, that's so funny. A lot of, I want, yeah, I'd be like Michael plus Kevin. (laughs) (laughs) I, I like it with Kevin. I like the way that him sharing his, um, you know, sharing his fear allows other people to be in it with him. There are a couple of times when Meredith hugs him and people are checking in on him. And so I think it, I think it, I don't know, create something kind of nice. I'm not ready to go as far as like recommending that this should necessarily be the way that office relationships work, but um, I like it. I like seeing this, I like seeing this side of Kevin and I like seeing the way that people respond and care about him. Yeah. I guess, are there two things 
that bring out people's care for you maybe. And one of them is birthdays and one of them is illness or like the, you know, the risk of illness or brushes with illness. I mean, I think especially in the workplace, right? Like the workplace is this strange, like semi-public space where like, like part of Michael's bad behavior, both as like a man, you know, Uh uh, but also as a boss is like his constant blurring of public and private, personal and and yeah, the boundaries are never clear. And, um, and, uh, but you are allowed like to blur those boundaries in certain moments, right? Like birthdays are ritual moments where it's like we, everybody will take their turn and everybody will agree, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, not necessarily at my work, but like, I feel like we've seen this in other shows or something, maybe even we've seen this on the office before. I don't know, but doesn't everybody like get a birthday party? Yeah. It's their favorite cake. And like, yeah. so so yeah there's something like sort of semi personal but not too personal yeah and yeah like i do think like one of the few ways that you can get attention sometimes oh i'm gonna have to cut this out but like (laughs) i feel like in our culture like if you're sick you get compassion in a way that um well, but that's also like not true at all <laughs> for the majority of the people, but like within very, very, very highly policed boundaries, like you can get some compassion from others about sickness and for a very limited period of time, <laughs> you know? And like, so, cause like if, Ke- if Kevin finds out that he's positive and then he needs, you know, a bunch of time away from work or, you know, is everybody going to, take a pay cut to support his health care, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, or if he had been diagnosed with HIV, would they be as sympathetic as, you know, or something like, you know, mm-hmm. but I do think like, especially with something like cancer, people just have this inherent kind of like, oh, are you okay? Mm-hmm. But it's also like, it's not entirely personal either, is it? Like, because even here, everybody's reacting in their own their own way not i don't know yeah nobody really seems to know kevin or what he wants i guess uh-huh. which yeah. is fine. we don't know him either he's a minor character i don't know what i'm saying save me that well i like your point about it showing um gosh wait how is this that you put it but for everybody it's not about what kevin wants but it's about their own thing sort of like they have their different reactions and one of the most dramatic probably is kelly so yes. when Kelly learns that Kevin has gotten the skin cancer test, she's kind of breaking into the conversation that's with Jim. And she says, second opinion on what? And Kevin says, um, I might have skin cancer. And Kelly says, oh, no, I was watching Grey's Anatomy and there was a lifeguard on it. And he had skin cancer, too. <laughs> Just so inappropriate, but also so Kelly. And it just kind of automatically bubbles out and she can't stop it but then one of my favorite things in the episode is that then it cuts to her doing an interview with the camera herself and she says I never really thought about death until Princess Diana died so going to this massive kind of pop cultural tabloid 
um, very, very highly publicized death. So it kind of fits with her connection, right? That she's like thinking about Grey's Anatomy. When she thinks about death, she thinks about Grey's Anatomy. Or when she thinks about cancer, she thinks about Grey's Anatomy. When she thinks about death, she thinks about Princess Diana. So people she does not know who are just a, kind of cultural figures. But then I love, it's just dark, but so, so funny. It's the best joke. Best joke. So I never really thought about death until Princess Diana died. That was the saddest funeral ever. That and my sisters. <laughs> Amazing. Still funny. So funny. And she just kind of, when she says that it's the saddest funeral ever, you can see her sort of catch herself. Like she, she kind of looks up a little bit and has that little pause and is like, oh yeah, my sisters too. It just, uh, yeah, I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> it's, I don't, it is one of the best lines and it's, she's so brilliantly delivered. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't even know what to say about it. It's like, it, it, it made me laugh. I watched it two times in a row. It made me laugh. And then you reading it to me made me laugh. Yeah. It's really yeah. good. It's really um, good. You know, it just occurred to me, uh, too, we have this other parallel plot kind of going on, which is, it's not even a plot, but it's just Pam and Jim go to the Rite Aid. And yeah. In my memory of this episode, like I thought this was more romantic or something, mm -hmm. but it, it, it read as like kind of cute and fun, but it didn't really, it, I don't, maybe I've seen it or something. And so it didn't feel as like definitive of their romance or something, but yeah, it didn't feel as significant to me. But what was interesting is as I'm going back through the script and I'm thinking about what you're saying, both of them, they keep turning on this joke of like, how old are you? And whether they're being too childish or not. And like, of course, that's part of the playfulness yeah. of flirting and part of the playfulness of like, you know, fucking around in a in a in a convenience store or, or, a mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, but it is interesting. This episode really does kind of like constantly raise this question of like, how old are you? What is what does it mean to be an adult? <laughs> what does it mean to yeah. be a child? Like, what does it mean to mark, you know, the um yeah the, the the distinction between these things yeah do you think the fact that pam finds out jim uses fabric softener is that a mark of adulthood maybe yeah maybe it's like it feels like there's several things to it one of it one of them is probably that i think she might be assuming it's more of a thing that women do because she's yeah. like yeah i do but that he you there's like something a little bit soft about using fabric softener it yeah. feels very adult yes like there's a level of laundry doing that you're at when you are using fabric softener that's higher than just the most basic entry level and it feels like it's just kind of intimate knowledge yeah there's something really kind of maybe fun maybe romantic maybe kind of hot about the Rite Aid trip because it's so it is so domestic you kind yes. of interact on that domestic level as yes. if you are a couple because who do you go to Rite Aid with yes. you, know, you go with your friends when you're in high school and then you know you go like with a person who you are with in a, yeah. In yeah. a different way so I think there's something there brilliant it, that is so true like <laughs> you're really generous with your brilliance <laughs> No, I think that's true. I think it's true because it's I hadn't really thought about that. When like there is something really interesting about 
like I remember um and there's like actually a 30 rock episode about this but like mm. I remember uh, people talking this is you know I don't know many years ago now but when Ikea was kind of like a bigger deal um oh, or, yeah. you know but people talking about going to Ikea on a date and like there's a whole 30 rock episode that's like about the dangers of that yes. <laughs> like people fighting in Ikea <laughs> and I think it, yeah like I, you know my I was immediately thinking of like the grocery store like I can think of you know, early times going grocery shopping with partners. And like, those were, you know, sometimes like exciting and like kind of romantic moments. And then other times like fraught, you know, cause yeah. like you really are revealing different preferences, different ideas yeah. about how the mundane stuff goes. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So I, I just, I think that that's a really, that's a really smart point that like she's having a moment or they're having a moment where they're kind of getting to, like this is what mundane life would be like. But yeah, broken by her, you know. He like goads her into using the microphone. Uh-huh. And it is interesting that the thing that she role plays <laughs> is Darth Vader. Yeah, um, saying Luke, uh, you know, this is your father. Come set the table for dinner. Uh, so it is this like mixture of a joke, paternal relationship with uh-huh. like a domestic setting. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Huh. This is what you can get with an English degree. This you is know? what you can get. This you is where you can go. Like, what do these connections help you know, <laughs> with anything? But like, like for some reason, that is very exciting to me to be like, what's the relationship between, like, why would she say, Luke, come set the table for dinner? And it's not until you said that stuff. I'm like, oh, this is one reason. Like, mm. I mean, I, that's is this what our life is? Anyway. Is, is Pam revealing anything about herself and it being a Star Wars reference? I thought so. I was wondering if you were going to be all over that, like that she's nerd. There's a connection to Dwight in that. Yeah. Like Dwight is our big office Star Wars guy. But I do have one other, one thing. I think we need to get a little more to the ice rink before we go. Okay. I want to jump um, ahead for just a second because this is on Pam and Jim. And this is the very end. And the the final scene, so they've done the gifts. Um, Pam and Jim have given Michael the night swept. And when they see Michael open it, Pam turns and just smiles so warmly at Jim. And then it cuts to an interview with her. The ice rink is cleared and the Zamboni is starting to go down to clean up the ice. And she says, Michael's birthday was actually pretty cool. It was a good day. I don't know. It was a good day. And then it cuts back to a scene where she's picking out a card with Jim. So the voice is kind of over that scene. And I thought this episode had a couple of callbacks to former episodes that were really interesting. So this one goes back to me. I thought it really echoed season one, episode two, diversity day. And that's Jim's interview at the very end. And that's the day when he had lost a big deal. And it's, it's like his biggest commission day of the year. So he had a big loss at work, but that's the one where Pam's head kind of falls onto his shoulder in a conference room meeting. And there's this sweet, but simple mundane kind of moment. And he says, um, not a bad day. And he's got this cute little smile and looks up to the side. And so I felt like those things side by side, they're just so similar mirroring each other there in their reactions to those days 
I knew it felt familiar, but I could not place that. That's the one. That's brilliant. I love that. Um, I also, yeah, there there was something really charming too about Michael's realtor coming back. Yes. Uh, Wait, did we talk about the last time when Michael bought the condo that that's Nancy Corral, that that's his I wife? Think, I think we did. Um, Just I, so wonderful. I love that. I love that. Um, it, it's a new revelation that Michael's good at skating and hockey, right? Michael is really good. Yeah skating and hockey. And I don't think, so when the other person who's really good at skating is Oscar, but I don't think it's actually Oscar who's doing the skating. Like, I think he has a stunt person to do his skating when he's doing the really good stuff. Oh yeah. I think that's really Steve Carell that's skating because it looked like it. His face is face forward. Like there's not somebody else subbing in. So he is just an excellent skater. And I, I loved this for Michael, for him to have a real strength. It was, it's so, it's like both funny and sweet and like so pathetic to, yeah. s- to throw your own birthday party, invite people that have to come <laughs> and then like dress up in like full hockey gear <laughs> to, show off, <laughs> to show off that you're actually good at something. <laughs> It's he just, goes, he just, he takes it too far. Yeah. So he could be good at skating, but play it cool. Yes. Like on the entire hockey uniform, <laughs> he's got the helmet, he's got the whole thing. But when he runs into Carol and he takes her kids, her, her kids for a ride on his hockey, like he kind of holds out his hockey stick and they both grab onto it. And he skates around and there's a point where he's showing them like modeling how to skate backwards. It's really sweet. Yeah. I do want to, next time we should, or the next time sweetness comes up in the show, we got to talk about that. Cause my vague memory of the British show is that like the, their version of Michael Scott is like all of the mean and none of the sweet and like yeah, I think that's definitely right. some of the stupidity. And so I think about, I don't know. I've just been thinking about that a lot. Like, how we should think about American sentimentality and like mm-hmm. sweetness. Uh, but anyway, I'm very curious who your Dundies are going to be. Um, it was obvious for me. Really? Your home run. Okay. Uh, I will be giving out three Dundies. Um, oh, wow. Okay. So, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Can I just hit so that I don't have to revise and regret them? Can yeah, I hit yeah, yeah. one to two final notes oh please the cake so michael got an ice cream cake at the office but then he also has a cake at the ice rink that says happy birthday boss we love you oh god so to go back to the desire you know like if what you want in a birthday is to be loved did he get this cake actually, or did Dwight get this cake? I don't know. I was thinking that he must have ordered it for himself, but Dwight might have ordered it because Dwight was the one who booked the hockey rink. So that was one thing. Dwight also celebrates Michael's birth moment and says, listen up everyone. It is 1123 exactly the exact moment when you emerge from your mother's vaginal canal. So Dwight has just a really realistic view of uh what birth is and 
Michael, okay. So also just the fact that he makes the yellow live strong bracelet out of paper. Yes. The thing I just loved is when Kevin gets the call from the doctor and Michael's across the rink, but he sees it and he skates over so fast. Yes. So seriously. And when Kevin says it's negative, Michael just shows this devastation. Like he throws down his stick and he tears off his live strong bracelet and he hugs Kevin. And then it cuts to him like one-on-one with the camera saying, well, apparently in the medicine community, negative means good, which makes absolutely no sense. (laughs) Community That would be chaos. So I just really like to that kind of, I don't know, what is it? Like a formal choice or move when it cuts from, at some point he has to be filled in on what it actually means, but it cuts from that and just goes directly to the correction or the things that right. learned. So there were just so many things in this episode that I adored. So I wanted to throw those in. I Tyler, love that. you've got three Dundies. I was just going to say the Livestrong. Uh, I didn't understand what he was doing with that yellow thing at first. And I thought, is he doing like a hospital band or something? And I just, I think back in the day, oh, I yeah. would have remembered because that was yeah. such a, he was everywhere. And and uh, everywhere it was always really confusing like who is this benefiting um yeah <laughs> other than the organization Livestrong. i don't know i we should look that that's, up but that's kind of be one of those well so i think it was for it was a cancer fundraising thing but um that's one of those references that has got to be kind of lost on i'm thinking like younger people who watch it yeah, yeah weren't there for the Livestrong thing and things changed with uh Lance Armstrong but right 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 he was such like an iconic he was hero for a brief time yeah and he fell from he, was he like doping or something like that or yeah okay. yeah something like that um, anyway yeah I love that Michael builds it and then tears it off so um, yeah <laughs> and at the point when if it's if it's to support research for cancer um he tears it off at the point once he thinks that kevin does have cancer yeah so. I know, it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it's like fuck you cancer yeah. um, okay so my first dundee uh is for best gift giving and okay. the joint dundee that is going to go to jim and pam nice and uh i just thought that they were champions of the gift giving for Kevin and also for Michael. Um, but they pay attention to what people like and then are able to uh, make them feel seen. Yeah, uh, you're so right. Michael was so seen. They really had to know, like, had to pay attention to his love of Night Swept. I love that. And then um, for, I don't know, let's just say MVP or MVO, uh, Most Valuable Office, worker uh whatever um is it's toby come on it's of course it's toby for two reasons number one when michael's like you know mentions the donuts he so genuinely says happy birthday and then it's like oh you didn't know it was my birthday like fuck you you don't get a donut and he's so hurt and then even better is when he's talking Kevin and he's like, honestly, is there any way you can get on your fiance's plan? Our health plan is just, it's terrible. And so yeah. like, this guy in human resources, I did think about this though. Cause I was like, well, if, if Kevin goes on his fiance's plan, that actually would benefit 
Dunder Mifflin uh, because then they're not going to be taking on any of the insurance costs for his health care. Yeah. So there is a dark reading of Toby. Oh, wow. But on the other hand, oh, you get you're the take that dark route, are you? I don't think so. I really thought that he was trying to basically get him the best health care coverage possible. Yeah. And he's willing to be like, look, our company is uh, not great. So, um, <laughs> so, of course, whenever it can be, it will always be Toby for me. Yes, I think it's great for you to take the opportunity. Wait, was that three? Yeah. Okay. Well, it's three people, two Dundies. Three people, two Dundies. Okay. Yeah, Pam and Jim share. What about I you? the sound effects. Did you hear the clapping? Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it after my Dundee. Okay. Um, well, I do want to give an honorable mention to Michael. This is not going to be the Dundee, but I want to give an honorable mention to Michael for creative attention techniques on his birthday. One of those, you actually reminded me of this when you talked about Toby in the conference room, the way Michael goes in with the donuts and then he just stands with his hand on the coffee pot, just sort of poised and ready so that when someone walks in, he can be pouring the coffee, you know, he can be caught in the right moment. That was one. The other was when he calls Jan and says, happy birthday. And she says, it's not my birthday. Day and she and he says oh I thought we had the same birthday in order to get a happy birthday out of Jan I just yeah. thought that was kind of a great move <laughs> maybe a little slimy or a little stupid but I, I thought it was really smart but he doesn't get my Dundee my Dundee ultimately goes to Oscar whoa skates on a professional level award goes to Oscar Martinez Woo! His skating, beautiful. I loved it. When it had the close-ups on him, he has such a great serious face and he kind of has his arms out. And um, then when there are the shots that are kind of from the back that are probably not him, Oscar, if you're listening right in, please tell us about that scene. Come on the show. But um, I just thought that that was a really fun detail that he's a great skater and it felt like um, a good time for him. He definitely had a good time at this birthday party. Absolutely. So, those are my Dundies. Ooh, I heard it. I heard it. We're going to have to get those, like, the, the files. <laughs> and I can dump them into the into the editing. Um, Some real professional sound work coming yeah, out. Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you to Nick for the sound effects. Yes. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Next episode is going to be drug testing. Mm-hmm. You're going to get some Dwight really, really coming out strong in the next episode. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye.